0: 11 and um, Sister Christy, you usually figure it out pretty quick, but I do not have connection uh, to the main computer back there this morning. So, any help you can give us on the overheads would be appreciated as always. Amen. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13 and verse number 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And we see from this verse that as long as we speak, understand, and think like a child, we're going to behave like a child regardless of our age because being an adult is more than a number of years that you've been alive there are folks who can be very young but be very mature and adult-like. Um, often said that, um, you know, of, of, of Bethany, you know, that uh, <laughs> she you know, was having adult conversations when she was, you know, six years old um, and has always been very mature uh, for her age. And we also see the opposite of that, though, where someone can... Be, um, and no, I'm not going to give you any examples, so don't anybody get nervous, amen. But, <laughs> um, but where someone can be up in chronological years but still have childish behavior because what we ultimately see is that our life reality is a reflection of our thinking, understanding, and then ultimately our speaking Now, the Word of the Lord came to me Friday a week ago that He wanted to see a significant shift in our lives, significant as opposed to gradual and incremental, and I'm thankful for gradual and incremental change, growth and development in in our lives. But there are times when we grow and develop and our minds are renewed little by little here a little there a little but then we kind of hit a spot to where if we're going to go any further it's going to require a significant shift and I really feel like that is a word from the Lord for this family of faith as it relates to what he desires to see and do among us in 2023 is this significant shift. And we said that a significant shift in our lives requires a significant shift in our thinking. Ways of thinking are pathways that lead us to a destination. Significant shifts will always involve a significant if. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Significant shifts will always involve a significant if. And in the context that I'm using this or referencing here, if is a condition or a variable controlled by you. If here is speaking of a condition or a variable that is controlled by, or we could even say it this way, is dependent upon you. So many times we you know, think, well, God, when are you going to do this for me? And when is this going to happen? And when are you going to change this? and and we allow the enemy to deceive us into thinking and believing that we're waiting on God to do something that needs to be done in order for the situation to change, in order for our lives to move forward, in order for us to experience the breakthrough, when in reality we're we're not waiting on Him. He's waiting on us because He can only take us as far as our trust in Him will allow. He's waiting on us, right, to... Now, He'll help you, but He's waiting for a greater measure of cooperation Uh, with him on our part that's necessary in order for him to uh, to take us places and bring us into life realities that we've yet to experience remember he's the good shepherd not the good cowboy a cowboy drives cattle but a shepherd leads sheep so one once again he can only lead you as far as your trust in him will allow and i'm not going to Try. I caught myself this morning like developing a whole other sermon series on this, and that 's really not why we 're mentioning this this morning, but we see all throughout the scriptures these significant ifs um, if you can believe remember the 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 father who brought the the, the son to the disciples and, and in desperation he says to Jesus, If you can do anything and jesus says it 's not about what I can do it 's if you can believe all things are possible.' To him who believes, we see even as it relates to to our country and and what's needed, the healing that's needed in in, a, in our nation. God says, if you will humble yourself and pray, if you will turn from your wicked ways, how about if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. See the the if here. God wants you to eat the good of the land. He wants you to have the finer things and the better things in life, not just uh, material things, but joy and peace, emotional things, mental wholeness, soundness, well-being, all of the above. How about if you hear and do these sayings of mine? And Jesus gave us one of his most basic but important parables where he related two different you know, individuals who basically heard and experienced the same things in life, but one person's life stood the test of time, so to speak while the others did not. And, and what Jesus was emphasizing there was the difference was the man who heard what Jesus said and did what Jesus said. We're going to look at a couple of these as we work through this morning, but if you have learned from Jesus, that's such a critical, such a critical if in, in our lives. There are a lot of people who call upon the name of the Lord and they receive salvation, and they're just as saved as anybody who's received salvation. But remember, Jesus said in in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, heavy, laden, burdened, and I'll give you rest. But then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. And that word learn there is is the word that we ultimately get our word discipleship from. And it's talking about a learning through experience where where we actually do life together with Jesus and, and he teaches us. And he says that if we learn from him, We will discover in our life reality the rest that He gave us when we came to Him. And that confuses a lot of people. I'm not trying to confuse you this morning, but one-dimensional thinking tells us either we have rest or we don't. But you're not a one-dimensional being. You're a three-dimensional being. And if you are born again this morning in your innermost being, you have rest, you have peace, you have joy. But it's learning how to walk in and experience that. So if you've learned from Jesus. And and we see that a lot of people have been born again but have not heard Him and have not learned from Him. And then if you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. So the the main point as we move forward is that significant shifts will always involve a significant if. Where we're not waiting on God, He's waiting on us. What are we re- willing to do differently? What are we willing to change? What are What are we willing to... Uh, And and this could involve a lot of different areas of our life, but the one that I feel like the Lord is focusing in on most specifically is our willingness to change the way we think, to change the way we look at things, to change the perspective that we have on on life and our identity and who we are in Christ, Uh, a significant if always associated with a significant shift. Now, let's do this. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things from last week that we talked about. We said that we do what the world does and get what the world gets because we think the, world th- the way the world thinks. One more time. We do what the world does and get what the world gets because we think the, world the way the world thinks. Amen. See, the Bible says don't be conformed. Don't be conformed by this world by the pressures that are in this world all around us but to be transformed by the renewing or the reconditioning of our minds the renewing or the reconditioning of your mind is completely different from what happens at the new birth at the new birth your innermost being is not uh, renewed or reconditioned or refurbished it's replaced you become a new creation through the new birth you become something through that experience that you were not before amen but then our minds in essence are playing catch up with that. I don't mean like catch up and mustard, I mean like catching up with it. Uh, because you became something through the new birth that 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 you don't don't yet see yourself as, that you don't yet think of yourself as being. And as long as we think like the person we were instead of the person we became, we're gonna pretty much experience life and 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 do what that old person did instead of experiencing life and doing what that new person does. Amen? So again, a lot of this is, is review and things that we talk about early and often. So our minds and our thinking have been conditioned by the world we live in. Over the course of our lifetime, we develop ways of thinking that are now producing negative, destructive, life-controlling patterns of living. So a significant shift in our lives requires a significant shift in our thinking. Now, from this point right here, we could, we could preach two dozen different sermons. Because there are many different ways that our minds have been conditioned to think the way the world thinks. In other words, there, there are many different categories of life problems and life issues that people are trying to resolve and work through and overcome in their lives, that are being produced by thoughts and patterns of thinking that were forged into us by the world around us instead of by the Word of God and the truth that we have you know, for us and available to us in the Scriptures. Are you following what I'm saying here? I mean, relationships and just so many different things. Um, do you realize how many people... Uh, do marriage the way they learn marriage from their parents, who do marriage the way they learn it from their parents, and just, amen. And the way Father God can change a family tree is if one branch of that tree will stop doing things the way every other branch on that tree has done them for years and start doing them God's way. That's basically the story of, of my family as it began with, as it begins with my mom and dad. Um, you've heard me say before, my mother started walking to church when she was a little girl because she wanted something different for herself and for her family. I mean, as a little girl, God was already, you know, preparing her heart for something better than what she was experiencing in her. And I'm not, amen. I they were just lost. I'm not, I don't, my grandmother and grandfather, they got born again later in life and, my mom's sister and all that. So praise God for that. They're in heaven waiting on us and, and what a reunion day that's going to be as well. But, you know, when when I talk about, you know, dysfunction and things of this nature, alcoholism and things of this nature was, was the situation that my mother was raised in. But see now, one generation later, she has three children in the ministry. Are, are you seeing this, right? It's, it's because she said, you know what, I'm I'm not going to just learn how to do life from those around me because I don't like the results that they're getting. So where can I go to find another way of, of, of learning how to do life? And so she walked to the church up the road from her house and found Jesus and was born again and then, you know, became a disciple and learned and, and grew and still learning and growing just like all of us. Amen. Are you are you are you seeing this? Okay, it's so important for 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 us to to understand. So when I say that there are so many different things that that we could focus in on, um, like the the world's way of um, finding importance and the world's way of, but listen to me, that even where we started back in twenty twenty two. And I was looking back at some of my notes, and the Lord was trying to get this significant shift terminology in in my thoughts all the way back in 2022 when, when He spoke to us and He said, we need to shift from our understanding of an operation in a buying and selling economy. We need to shift out of that and shift into a sowing and reaping, giving and receiving economy. God's economy, God's kingdom economy doesn't work off of buying and selling it works off of planting and harvesting. But see, we've been indoctrinated into a buying and selling economy. This is why so many things that we, we, we hear in, in the scriptures, like for instance, and I'm not trying to freak you out again, those of you who weren't here for all this teaching, but, but see, the world tells us that you shouldn't give to receive. When the Bible says um, giving is how you receive, that's like saying a farmer shouldn't plant corn wanting more corn. That's why he plants the corn to get more corn. That's why Jesus said, give and it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. That's why he said if you give uh, sparingly, you'll receive in return sparingly. But if you give bountifully, you will receive in return bountifully. But see, the world tries to take that as just a greedy preacher trying to get your money. (laughs) See what I'm saying? In other words, because the world doesn't think that way. The world's all about buying and selling and and selling your time to the highest bidder to get more income it's a a completely different approach and so we're talking about even in that a significant shift but see along with that significant shift is even the, the way we think about money do you realize how many of God's I'm not talking about the world do you realize how many of God's people still think money is their source of happiness we're talking about a significant shift here amen so we'll come back to that in the in the days ahead this year but the one thing, and, and I said this towards the end of our message last week, our time together last week, is, you know, outside of, of course, being born again. And then believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it right up there with, with understanding the truth about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and he's prompted me twice to say this, and, and I'm going to be doing some teaching on this in the discipleship class on Wednesday. But Jesus came to do two things for you. He came to take away your sin and He came to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. And those, those are not the same thing. The, God's work in your life at salvation, when you become a new creation and the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, that's still not the same as a separate work of the Holy Spirit that is called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not so much you getting more of God's Spirit. It's God's Spirit getting more of you. It's, it's another one of these significant shifts where you surrender more to Him in a, in a greater and a deeper way and ultimately surrender the rudder of your life to Him, which is your tongue. And you allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak through you in a heavenly language that you don't necessarily know or understand. You talk about a level of trust and again, a significant shift. But of all the things that the Lord has taught me up until this point, the one that made the most remarkable difference and continues to make the most remarkable difference in my life and my daily walk with Him is this shift shift from thinking that what I do determines who I be, right? That was how I used to think it worked. And so I would, I was just like, you know, what I didn't realize is that it was fostering and cultivating within me a religious spirit, a Pharisaical spirit. I was, I was becoming like the men who crucified Jesus, trying to make myself right by self discipline and, and, you know, I, 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 some people pat me on the back. And certainly, you know, what the devil meant for harm, God has used it for my good in, in later days, but. If if I had a, a a little girlfriend in middle school or whatever, um, I would keep a log of how long I talked to her on the telephone to make sure I spent more time praying and in the Word than I spent talking to her. Because anything less than that would have been unrighteous behavior. And I'm trying to make myself right. I'm trying to be right with God. I'm trying to make myself right with God by the things that I did and, and what I do, I thought my doing determined my being. So when I say the most significant shift for me personally was when the Lord showed me that it's exactly opposite, that my doing does not determine my being. My being determines my doing. And that He made me something through the new birth that I could never make myself. And it's when I understood and began, He began to show me by the Holy Spirit and, and, and His Holy Word who I became the day I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I began to in, in cooperate with him in this process of being renewed in the spirit of my mind, which we'll look at those verses in just a moment, where, where I began to see myself the way he saw me. I began to see myself in light of the new creation that I had already been made. The shift then was... I'm not doing right to to try to be right, but I'm doing right because he made me right. And so now my efforts became an extension of who I was. I I was told by a lot of well-meaning pastors over the years of my walk with the Lord that I was a sinner and that I needed to do better. You know, and so, you know, 30 40 minute sermon I was I was told you know for 25 minutes of that that I was a sinner you need to come repent and then you need to go try to do better and so without realizing it they were they were telling me to live outwardly in conflict to who I was inwardly they were telling me I was a sinner and I needed to go struggle and try to be a saint because I believed I was a sinner trying to be a saint I thought well maybe if I do enough things like a saint I'll one day You see, but that doesn't that doesn't work, and it's not the gospel. It is not the gospel. If you if you look at the New Testament, especially the epistles, you you see a category of verses. And I learned this from Dr. Neil Anderson. If you look at the the category of verses, there's there's a a lot of verses that fall in the category of what I would call an imperative. I'm saying what I would call what he calls an imperative and. I'm not trying to use big words on you. Just an imperative is is any verse that tells you something that you should do, that you have to do. A commandment. It's imperative that you do this. Forsake not assembling yourselves together. That's that's a commandment. These are things in the scriptures that are telling you and me how to live. Amen. That's an imperative. We also see a whole nother category of of scriptures in the New Testament, right? And and those scriptures are what Dr. Anderson calls an indicative. And an indicative simply serves to indicate. Amen, Christy, if you're looking for this in the notes, it's not there, sister. I apologize. Okay. It simply serves to indicate. Are you following what I mean? So, for for example, um, those who are in Christ Jesus are new creations. There's no instruction there. There's no commandment there. It just simply exists. It serves to indicate, right? Right. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, right? But when we see Him, we'll be like Him because now we are children of God. Notice now, He's not telling you to do this or go here or do that. All those verses exist to, to indicate what's true about you because you've been born again. Are you still with me? Now... Again, well-meaning, I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody who who spoke into my life, and I certainly learned a lot from every pastor that I ever had in my life. But especially in the early years, I was was fed a steady diet of the imperatives. In other words, just about every sermon I heard was me being told what I need to do, what I had to do, what I better do, and what was going to happen to me if I didn't do it. 90% maybe. Of it, that is what I heard. And then occasionally there would be a sermon from an indicative passage. But here, here was even a compounded mistake. Is that all the, indicatives, all the indicatives were presented to me as rewards for doing good at the imperatives. In other words, as long as I did the commandments, then maybe one day the indicatives would be true about me. Little did I know at that moment in my life that it was the opposite way around. The indicatives were not dependent upon the imperatives. The imperatives were dependent upon the indicatives. That's why you see six chapters in the book of Ephesians. The first three are devoted to indicatives. And before He ever tells you anything that you should do as a born-again believer, He tells you who you are, who you became. Your identity in Christ, who you be. And because this is who you be, now this is, this is what you have the ability to do. So when I say the most significant shift in, in my walk with the Lord and, and what set me free was when I went from thinking what I did for Jesus determined who I would ultimately one day become to who I became the day I became a new creation in Christ, Jesus gave me the ability to even lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. To cast out demons, to speak with new tongues. You say, oh, no, man, that's, that's, that's stuff for only saints. Well, you are a saint. You became a saint the day you were born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Now, oh, sweet. So, let me... I'm, I'm skipping way down here for a minute. Have you ever... I'm not trying to get all technical on you. There's a, before there was ever a, a label or a terminology for this, this existed. In other words, don't feel intellectually inferior if you've never heard of this terminology. Because whether you've heard the terminology or not, we've all experienced this at some point in our lives but have you ever heard of imposter syndrome anybody imposter syndrome I first I first became acquainted uh with this term uh in in my overcoming uh uh you know this resistance that Satan has tried to use against me to keep me from writing uh writing books and um Imposter, let me ask you it another way. Have you ever felt like a phony? That's what imposter syndrome is. just a fancy way of of describing why people sometimes feel like a phony. Let me read this to you. Imposter syndrome involves feelings of self-doubt and personal incompetence that persist despite your education, experience, and accomplishments. And to counter these feelings, you might end up working harder and holding yourself to ever higher standards. I'll never forget um, Micah Andrews, uh, the CEO and pastor of the Foundry now doing a, an amazing job. He walked into uh, a meeting of directors, and, and um, I don't talk a lot about that, but that's one of my assignments is I'm counseling director at the, at the Foundry Ministries. And there were several of us there in the room. And, and he said, before we begin our meeting, he said, God, I got a question. He says, "He goes, how many of you in this room view yourself as an expert? I mean, we're all like, well, I don't know who he's talking about, but he ain't talking about me, right? You know what I'm saying? He said, you may not see yourself as an expert, he said, but the people who come to this ministry for help see you as the expert. Now... Listen to me all the way here, okay? God has made you an expert. He, he's given you answers that you don't know you have to give to people that you haven't met yet. Amen. So when we talk about imposter syndrome, right? This is, you know, where... We think that we've got to do more, educate ourselves, have more... Listen, there's nothing wrong with education. There's nothing wrong with experience. All of these things are good unless they are the tail trying to wag the dog. I've got the honor of um, on Wednesday morning of this week to uh, ordain uh, John Smith into the ministry. And um some of you know our brother John, he part of this family of faith, graduated the foundry, part of this family of faith for many years. He's a counselor now at the foundry in Coleman. And um something that we've been talking about for some time and step that that he wants to take. And this is this is how I explain that to John. I said John, I don't decide I don't decide who is a minister. Our father, right, in his wisdom, he decides that. When when someone on earth, recognize all I'm all I'm saying is I recognize who God made you. Are you seeing this? I'm, I recognize that God put you in your mother's womb to be one of His sons who serves in one of the areas of fivefold ministry. But to think that. Until I hold a certificate that says I'm ordained, I'm not ordained. See, that does, it does, that's not how any of this works. Now, the feudal thinking, listen to me very carefully. I, I know we're, we're where we need to be, but not where I thought we would be this morning. But let me get some of this on the, on the table, and then we'll enjoy communion together as well. Okay, but the feudal thinking that says I must do in order to be. That thinking plays directly into what I believe is Satan's biggest weapon against us. Pride. Pride. Trying to do in order to be. Remember what they asked Jesus. Who do you make yourself out to be? When we're trying to make something of ourselves. It so predisposes us to pride. And I believe pride is humankind's number one problem. And not that everything else is second, but that everything else is a subset of pride. It's, pride is a cause of all of these things because pride says, don't need you, God, I'll do it myself. Okay. So trying to do in order to be, listen very carefully now, it leads to pride. It leads to competition. How sad is it that so many of God's people are in competition with one another. So many of God's ministers are in competition with one another. Trying to compete. Who has the biggest church? Who has the most people attending? Who, who has the biggest offerings? Who has the, the biggest name? Who's, who's All that stuff, right? It's, it, it's competition. And, and what we see amongst ministers and churches, we also see in the pews among people. Trying to do in order to be also leads to insecurity. How about this one, frustration? My goodness gracious, frustration, you know what frustration creates emotionally in people's lives, among other things, anger. Trying to do in order to be leads to feelings of never doing enough. I'm sure... Nobody in this room has ever felt like they are not doing enough, but amen. Maybe you know somebody. Never doing enough. Never measuring up. Inadequacy. Here is a huge one right here. Trying to do in order to be not only leads to pride, but it leads to a sense of inferiority. Not doing enough. Not being enough. This imposter syndrome i'm such a phony people see through me they know that i'm not how many times has has the devil separated people from a, a family of faith or fellowship with other believers by telling them you're not you're not as good as those folks down there you still got all kinds of issues and problems in your life you're not fooling anybody when in reality, if you're born again, you're just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus himself. No matter what, you may still be struggling with in your outward man. You see, God's people on planet Earth are, are breaking out of, in Jesus' name, come on, a significant shift. We're breaking out of an identity crisis. That's keeping us in a, in a, in a, in a mindset of inferiority. And, and we see our world, if there's still children in here that didn't go to children's church, put your hands over their ears, go into hell in a handbasket because the mighty body of Christ on planet Earth doesn't know who she is. Somebody tell me the righteous are as harmless as a kitten, bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. See, when we think what we do determines who we be, it, it creates this, all these different spinoffs, and among them is insecurity and inferiority. See, when, when you're secure in who you are, you're not threatened by other people and what they do. Even if they do you wrong. Are you following what I'm saying? Even if they offer you an offense... You you are a lot more likely to take the offense if if you're struggling with inferiority and insecurity than if if you know who you are and you're secure in who you are in Christ and who you became, that you became a new creation in Christ. When offense is presented to you, you just pray for the person who's trying to mistreat you and abuse you or or whatever, because you know it doesn't determine, it doesn't determine how God sees you or who you are just because somebody else doesn't recognize it. And can I just go ahead and tell you, you you can't wait to other people say it's true about you to believe it. This is, we live our lives through the eyes of other people. We keep waiting for somebody else to affirm us. We keep waiting for somebody else to say that you're changed or you're no longer an addict or you're no longer this or you're no longer that before we believe it for ourselves. There may be people, very, very important people in your life who never ever acknowledge who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But if you're, if you're waiting for, for them to say that it's true before you believe it's true, you may be waiting for the rest of your life on this earth. Inferior, insecure, surely nobody in this room, but envy and jealousy, judging others, self-comparison. And the list goes on and on and on and on, all rooted in one thing this approach to living for God and, and doing this thing called Christian life based upon a, a wrong thinking that what we do determines who we be. One of the most important milestones in your Christian life is when you become secure in God's love for you, when you become secure. And who you are in Christ Jesus, who he made you to be, there's only one you. Are you with me? You are very special to him. You're very unique to him. Of the billions upon billions of people who have ever lived or ever will live on this planet, none of them will ever have your thumbprint, which is an outward sign of something even greater. None of them will ever be exactly like you god made you special he made you unique he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb he had a plan and by the way more than a hundred year plan for your life before he put you in your mother's womb he gave you purpose and grace in christ jesus before time began and when you become secure in that when you become secure that you're right with god even if you leave out of here and and somebody cuts you off in traffic and you wave at them with one finger or whatever and don't do that. But even if you do something goofy like that, that's out of character. This, see, that stuff don't look good on you. It's not who you are anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't fit you anymore. And even when we sin as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even when we sin, it's not the same. It, it, it doesn't, it, 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 we're not comfortable in that anymore because it's not who you are anymore. And then doing to be is at the heart of this religious spirit, right? So much of what turns the world and people who need Jesus off from the body of Christ. You see in this, right? When the world says, well, that, those people just at that, down there at that church just judge me or those people, you know, across town or whatever, you know. Maybe, maybe that's just their own thinking. But I'm I've been in some places where I've been judged by God. I don't know about you, but there's, there's, there's some truth to the rumor. Amen? So notice now, it's because we don't have our junk worked out. People are supposed to be attracted to the church. They, but listen, we're the body of Christ. Jesus walked into a new town. People came out of everywhere to come see him, find him, be loved by him, hear what he had to say, receive what he had to give. But notice, because we, we we still think what we do determines who we be and all these other things, never measuring up, self-comparison, judging, pride, competition, insecurity, frustration. Do you, so do you see why this is such a significant shift? Amen. Praise God. you get anything out of this this morning? Amen. I'm going to... Pray and then ask the men to come to serve us. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for what you're teaching us. Thank you for how you're opening up these truths to us. Father, I ask you for utterance and that my spirit, soul, and body become a portal for your wisdom to pass from eternity into time and space this morning, Father. And And I believe that's what's happened mainly because, Lord, a lot of what you had for me to say today wasn't even in my notes to begin with. I thank you, Father, for that divine transaction that takes place from your spirit to the men and women listening to me both here in the room and those online, Father, on the broadcast, Lord, as as your spirit bears witness with our spirit in grafting your word. Uh, Lord, that people are not just hearing my voice, they're hearing yours, and that's the most important thing. And, Father, that we're beginning to look a little closer at... <laughs> at our own mindsets and attitudes towards doing and being versus being and doing. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is convincing us of the indicatives so that we can go and become masters of the imperatives. Experience your joy and peace in our life realities and change this world for your glory in the process. And we declare it so in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Matt, Vanessa, Daniel, if y'all come.